Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. Well, I've thoroughly enjoyed being back down here with all of all of you this uh, these few nights, and enjoyed the uh, meeting, the worship, the singing. Uh, I appreciate so very much uh, the all the cross section that you have and appreciate and enjoy here at uh, First Baptist Palmetto. It's a real blessing. A lot of churches know the uh, uh, the music. Someone said uh, when uh, Satan was cast out of heaven, he fell down in the choir loft. <laughs> and, uh, and, and you, you won't believe what a war zone the music program is in so many of our churches, but I do appreciate so very much. Appreciate Matt and, and Chris and, and all those that play the instruments and everybody that, uh, that uh, leads us in our worship here through the music program. It is such a blessing. A lot of times, uh, those of us that are pastors and preachers, we we always come to the service trying to, you know, we we try and pray and thinking, trying to, you know, uh, get ourselves ready, and we don't get to participate as easily in the worship. So, it's a blessing to come down here and be able to do that with y'all this week. Uh, I've been coming down I two eighty five, the fast and the furious. There's only two kinds of people that, that come down two eighty five: the quick and the dead. <laughs> And uh, my gracious alive, what a what a racetrack! That is an amazing piece of ground. I've been I, I go north from Canton towards Ellijay, and I go always against the crowd in the morning. And I come back going against the crowd in the evening. So I hadn't been in any traffic in a long time. And uh, how uh, how amazing this Atlanta traffic is. Well, thank you again. I couldn't thank you enough. I appreciate so very much uh, Jimmy's invitation to come. And Man, Jimmy's got everything. Man, preaches, sings, as Matt already said or somebody said. Wears cowboy boots of all things. That's what I've always wanted to do all my life. I can't wear cowboy boots. <laughs> and uh, But, you know, he's got it all. Plays the drums. Only musical instrument I've ever been able to play is a radio, and that's about it. <laughs> Well, we're going to read out of the Old Testament tonight and try to preach a little bit out of the Old Testament. Uh, I just love the Old Testament. I'm going to read out of Psalms 15, and then Ezekiel, go on, turn right and go over, and you'll go to the, get into the major prophets, uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, and Daniel, and then the 12 minor prophets, as you know. And, uh, but Psalms 15, a Psalm of David, and then uh, Ezekiel 18. Uh, And we'll read all the verses in Psalms 15. Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle and who may dwell in your holy hill? And then he gives the response to that question. He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. He who does not backbite with his tongue nor does evil to his neighbor nor does he take up a reproach against his friend in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord. He who swears to his own hurt and does not change, he who does not put out his money as usury, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. 
He who does these things shall never be moved. And then Ezekiel, you're going to see that Ezekiel, uh, he lived a good many years after David, but uh, uh, see if you don't think that he says basically the same thing, just in a little, uh, another way. Ezekiel 18, and I asked him to do 11 verses, but I'm actually going to only read 9. Ezekiel says, The word of the Lord came to me again, saying, What do you mean when you use this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying, The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. As I live, says the Lord God, you shall no longer use this proverb in Israel. Behold, all souls are mine, the soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine, the soul who sins shall die. But if a man is just and does what is lawful and right, if he's not eaten on the mountains, nor lifted up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, nor defiled his neighbor's wife, nor approached a woman during her impurity, if he has not oppressed anyone, but has restored to the debtor his pledge, has robbed no one by violence, but has given his bread to the hungry, and covered the naked with clothing, if he has not exacted usury nor taken any increase, but has withdrawn his hand from iniquity and executed true judgment between man and man, if he has walked in my statutes and kept my judgments faithfully, he is just. He shall surely live, says the Lord God. Man, what wonderful passages that we have from these uh, two wonderful writers, David the psalmist, Ezekiel the prophet. <clears throat> Churches that want to grow work hard to make people feel welcome in this place. We do a lot of, <clears throat> a lot of things to, uh, you know, try to invite people and make them feel, uh, you know, comfortable when they come into our churches. We do lots of things and we work hard at it. We want people to come, don't we? Uh, I noticed last Sunday, <laughs> churches will do just about anything, I think, to get uh, to, to entice people to come. <clears throat> One of the well-known uh, TV preachers, and uh, uh, I mean a real uh, well-known pastor, they did a ministry and they were going to plan another church and, and it was sort of an open-air thing. And I saw him on TV last Sunday and he had a poodle dog under his arm. And he invited all the folks to come and bring their dogs. I said, Lord, have mercy. What in the world? I don't know uh, uh, what kind of ministry. But, he, you know, he preached the whole time with a little dog under his arm. And I, he said, well, we're trying to embrace all kinds of people and get them to come. Uh, and if they can bring their animals and that will help them to want to come, we'll just, we'll just want them to come. Uh, Vance Havner talked one time. Uh, Vance Havner, <laughs> he was a... He was a side of a preacher, but he was a good preacher. And he, he talked about a lot of times what uh, the danger of churches, uh, you know, breaking down their standards and just, uh, you know, just trying to accommodate people in such a way that we, you know, we just watered down the gospel and, and just, uh, you know, wouldn't really uh, preach the Bible. And he said uh, a lot of times we use entertainment to do that. And Vance Havner said he went to a church one time and they... Uh, they, they advertised during that week they were going to have a talking horse. So the crowds came from everywhere. 
And he got the old horse up there in front of the congregation, and the old guy asked the horse, he said, how many disciples were there in the Bible? And the old horse, he tapped out 12. And he said, how many commandments in the Old Testament under Moses? And he clomped out 10. And some wise guy in the back hollered out and said, how many hypocrites in this church? And the old horse went into a dance and never did stop. <laughs> oh me, that's a bad old story. But <laughs> but what I'm saying and what I want to emphasize tonight and from this text, uh, this is known as an entrance psalm and some think that it was recited as a liturgical act whenever the, the priest led the people inside the temple of God. And they shouted out this first uh, verse that David has written, Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle and who may dwell in your holy hill, he who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. You see, uh, uh, to enter into the presence of God and to know the reality of a relationship with God, we don't casually come up into His presence. And we don't casually come into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus. Uh, it's a very special thing, and it's, uh, it's uh, something that uh, we need to realize that when we come to Him, you don't come into the presence of a holy God and a righteous God. You don't come into His presence unless you come with forgiveness. And He offers that forgiveness. But we recognize our need of coming into the presence of God and knowing this wonderful God in such a way that His holiness will impact us and cause us to be holy. That's what this psalmist and Ezekiel is writing about. Holiness is a special word used in the Bible. It's a precious word to God's people and God's children. As a matter of fact, what it entails... When the ways and means by which God works is incorporated into the ways and means by which I work and you work and the way that we live, it's called holy, holy lives. And that's what God's all about. One of the first two verses in the Bible I ever memorized was Romans 1 and 2. Matter of fact, that's the first text that I ever used to preach my first sermon. I, uh, the Lord called me to preach when I was 20. I didn't, I didn't really yield to that and really understand it and come to my church and tell them that I felt like for sure the Lord had called me to preach. I was scared to death. I, I just didn't, I, I was afraid. And uh, anyway, the, I knew because when I grew up in the church, if you came forward as a young man or older man or whatever, and you, you announced to your church that you had been called to preach, the pastor would hand you the Bible and say, okay, it's your turn, go ahead. <laughs> and I thought, I cannot do that. <laughs> for, for the life of me, I, I just didn't understand. But anyway, I finally came to the place, as the old uh, preacher once said, uh, uh, the Lord hemmed me up and I couldn't do anything else. <laughs> We used to catch chickens, and we'd hem them up in the corner. You know, he, the old preacher said, that's exactly the way I felt. The Lord got me hemmed up. But anyway, I, I came and I, 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 I shared with my church from the bottom of my heart. I said, I, you know, I just, uh, I don't understand it, but I feel like the Lord has called me to preach. And the old pastor said, okay, here's the Bible. You'll preach next Sunday. And I thought, oh, that's just what I thought. 
And all week long I wrestled with that. I read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation several times, looked all over it for a sermon, and I couldn't find one. There wasn't one in there. (laughs) And on Saturday night I had a job. I worked six days a week, 12 hours a day. And on Saturday night I sat there at our little breakfast table in our house, and my wife came in and looked at me and said, What in the world is the matter with you? And I said, well, I'm I'm afraid we're going to have to move to Florida. I have lied to my church. (laughs) And so uh, I went to bed that night, still didn't have, I didn't know what I was going to preach on. And I got up the next morning and and the only impression I had was Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Here's the word, holy sacrifice and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I, all I did was stand up and read those two verses, and the rest of it was all God, because I, you know, He came and He took over and He did what I, I could never do. And I'm going to tell you what he did for me that morning. He, he showed me and, and helped me to understand that it was my yieldedness to him as he would use me as a voice and as an instrument to speak his word. And that's what, that's what preaching is all about. And that's what the Bible is all about. It's, it's the proclaiming of the holiness, the very essence, the all-sufficient all-transforming life of God that impacts our life and transforms us into the people God wants us to be. That's what we call holy. In the Old Testament, in the book of Leviticus, God spoke to His people way back there in the Old Testament. And it's all over the Bible, these recurring, ever-present words that come from God. And he said, be holy, for I am holy, saith the Lord. We are to be and to live and to do exactly how God lives and does in the world in which we live. What is the essence of Christianity? It's living the God life. It's allowing God to live in us and save us and transform us and make us into the people that God intends us to be so that we can know the good and the acceptable and the perfect will of God in our everyday lives. Now the word holy that uh, David refers to and all the rest of the Bible refers to, it's, uh, it's never an abstract word. It entails life. And if it doesn't affect, and, and, and if it can't be lived out in, in my human body, in your body, if it cannot impact my neighborhood in which I live and you live, if it doesn't, if it doesn't change and conform and, and, uh, and, and, and allow us to speak as we're supposed to speak to our neighbor, we're to speak the truth, we are to love our neighbor in ways that's described here in Ezekiel's writings and David's writings. We don't cheat. We don't lie to people. 
We're kind. We're loving. We're helpful. We're gracious. We lift them up. We encourage them. We don't put them down. That's the God life. That's the holy life. And I'm going to tell you what a wonderful life it is when we yield our bodies, present ourselves living sacrifices unto Him so He can live in us. We're called the people of God. We're called a holy nation, as they, uh, Matt and all of them sang these early songs. My, what a wonderful song and what wonderful verses they sang to us tonight. They sang the Scripture, and it's all over the Bible, and I'm so glad that's exactly what uh, these writers are writing about and what we need to understand. This, uh, this precious psalm and all of its words, and, and you know, it sounds sort of like a work salvation. Uh, he said, who can enter into the, the house of the Lord? Who can abide in His tabernacle? Who can dwell in your holy hill? And then he says, he who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. And it sounds like we're trying to obtain our salvation. has nothing to, to, to do with obtaining our salvation because we know that the very essence of the life of God and salvation is a gift. And all over the Bible, and, and all in our teaching and preaching, we proclaim the fact and the reality that all that we receive from God is given to us as a gracious gift from a loving God. We don't work to obtain the holiness of God. We're given the holiness of God. We're imparted the holiness of God as well as the righteousness of God. And we're given the power of God to enable us to live as He would have us to live. That's Christianity. That's the basic stuff. Now I know holy, the word holy has fallen on bad ground in our society. Uh, I mean, they've vandalized the word holy. Holy Joe, you know, and holier than thou. Holy, uh, you know, just holy this and holy that. People make light of the word holy because they don't realize. And so many times people think that, oh, preacher. You, t- you preaching to me about being holy? I mean, how awful. A life that's just so bland and so, you know, just so uh, sad and so, you know, you Christian folks sometimes look like a mule been eating briars, you know, and they wonder about our... <laughs> but you know, uh, what, what you find in the Bible is just the opposite of that. I mean, look at Jesus. I mean, what did they have to say about Him? <laughs> He said uh, he's a friend of sinners and publicans. I mean, they said, you know, he, this guy, he, there's something about him. You know, you know what I believe about Jesus? I believe he laughed a lot when he was here on this earth. I believe he had some big old belly laughs. I, you know, whenever he was around people, the, the Bible says he was a man of sorrows, but yet he was, he had the joy of the Lord. He, he, he not only knew about the burdens of life, he knew about the presence and the power and the joy of living the holy life. And if anybody lived the holy life, it was the Lord Jesus. And I want you to know, I want you to just write this down if you don't remember anything else. Happiness and holiness go together. The first psalm is the front porch psalm of the whole Psalter. And the writer starts out with that introductory psalm and says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sits in the seat 
nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. He's the blessed man. He's the hilarious man. He's the man that knows something that the world can never know. A joy and a contentment and a peace and and a sufficiency that causes us to rise above life and live a life that's so different than the rest of the world will ever know anything about. It's a holy, happy life. And we need to understand that about God's ways and God's means for us. If we're ever going to fan the flame, and if our lives are ever going to impact this, this community here in Palmetto or our home where we go home this evening or the school in which uh, these young people attend or the workplace where we work in a workaday lifestyle, if we're ever going to be different, it's going to be because of the living, dynamic, holy presence of God as we live holy people on this unholy world in which we are. Heard about two dogs one time that were talking about being happy. And one little dog said, uh, I found out that happy's in my tail. And he says, I'm always chasing my tail trying to find happiness. And he says, I just had never got it. And the other dog said, well, I tell you, I've, I've, happiness is in my tail too. But he says, I just go on down the road and I found that it just follows me everywhere I go. <laughs> Well, let me tell you something. If you put your life in the direction of the Lord and you align your life and your will with His will, I'm going to tell you, happiness will come along right after you. David said, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's, that's exactly what uh, David was writing in the 23rd Psalm and here again in the 15th Psalm. So... Uh, this wonderful uh, grace of God. I, I, love, uh, I love the invitation that's... Uh, isn't it? I, I don't know about you. and Well, I do too. I know how all Christians feel about the grace of God. If you've been saved, you know about the grace of God. No other prophet could write like Isaiah. There's no greater revelator in all the Bible. There's no other golden tongue orator like Isaiah. And here's what he says about God's grace and invitation. And I love to read it everywhere I go. He says, Ho, everyone who is thirsty, come to the waters. And all you who have no money, come and buy and eat. Yes, that's exactly right. Come buy wine and meat without money and without, without price tags. Why do you spend money? for what is not bread, and all of your life savings for what does not satisfy. Listen to me carefully, Isaiah said. You know, I used to have a teacher in high school, and we'd be sitting there in class, and she'd see us not paying any attention. She'd say, now, I want you to sit up straight and put both feet on the floor and listen to what I'm saying. I believe Isaiah was that kind of a preacher. He said, listen to me. Listen carefully to me. Sit up straight, both feet on the floor. Eat what is good and let your soul delight in the abundance. Come to me, God says, and listen and your soul shall live. It's the same message that's there in Ezekiel in chapter 18. God says, as I live, saith the Lord, you shall no longer use this proverb. And I'm going to get around to that in a minute. Uh, he says... Uh, 
He that is just shall surely live, says the Lord our God. Let me tell you something about uh, the grace of God and the holiness of God. The holiness is the life, the God life that is infused in our life, in our relationship to Him. And it always comes through the avenue of what we call grace. You can't work and obtain your salvation. You can't be good enough. I thought whenever I was uh, seeking the Lord and wanting to be saved, the, the first confused thought I had in my mind as a child is that I had to be good enough for God to save me. Oh no, you can't be good enough. love the story about the little boy that came home first grade and he's, his grandpa was keeping him and he came, came in and sat down and he had his report card. And, and grandpa said, uh, son, you got your report card? He said, yes, sir. And he was a little timid about showing it to his grandpa. And he said, well, let me look at it. Had good grades, you know, reading and all these little things that first graders do. And he looked at his conduct and there was a whole paragraph written. Johnny is not well behaved. Johnny does not listen. Johnny, and grandpa said, he said, Johnny, what? What, what? I mean, you've done good in your studies. What? Why can't you be good? He said, oh, Grandpa. He says, I can be good, but I just can't be good enough long enough. <laughs> and that's the problem of humanity, isn't it? I mean, we might be good in certain areas. We might can do some things good. I've got a precious man in my church. He's a former commander of a naval battleship. Sweetest guy in all the world. He says to me all the time, he said, Preacher, you preachers are always preaching about sin. He said, he said, I do my best not to sin. I said, well, that's what we're supposed to do. But I said, you know, it's not, sin entails a whole lot more than our actions many times. It's the way we speak. It's the way our attitude, it's our disposition. And most of all, the Bible says, uses one primary word to describe the essence of our sin. It's in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know what that means? That means my life cannot measure up to the holy life of God. I'll always come up short. I do not, I cannot, I shall never in my humanity, in the best day that I have, could I ever measure up to the perfection of God. Now, a lot of folks don't like, don't like the standards of Christianity. You know, we preach the Bible and we proclaim the truth, and that's what we're called to do. I love what the Bible says about Jesus. John said, In the beginning was a Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, full of grace and truth. Grace is the heart of God. Truth is the Word and the will of God. And when Jesus came, He came to, to, to exemplify and in bodily life glorify God in the essence of His living. And He was the perfect one. And it's through Him that we receive our forgiveness because of His death and His resurrection. And we're called as a church to proclaim the truth. And that's what we do, is it not? 
Is it not what David's doing and Ezekiel's doing and now is the New Testament? Paul wrote and many times, and, and I, wanna, I hope you understand the, the position of Christianity. It's never been extremely popular in a fallen world. Because one thing that God requires as you read this passage, the, the standards of holy living. God says there's a right and there's a wrong. There's a right lifestyle, there's a wrong lifestyle. And He calls us to a life that's right or righteous. And so uh, as we proclaim that and live that and stand up to that and hold up the truth, that's, that's the business of the church. And then we point the church to a living Savior who saves and forgives and then comes into our life to enable us to live the way God would have us to live. Heard of an old man one time, he was, he was, uh, he was getting late in the evening, it was getting dark and he looked out in his backyard and he had a big tool shed and it was full of real good tools and there were three men prying the lock off the door and breaking in to steal his tools. And he picked up the phone and called the police and uh, 911, and they answered, and he, he told them, he said, there's three men stealing my, breaking in my workshop, stealing all my tools in the backyard. They said, we're sorry. We don't have a patrol car in that area. And he said, what? And he hung up the phone, and he counted to ten. And he called back, and he said, there's three men breaking into my tool shed, and I just shot all three of them. <laughs> And in two minutes, five patrol cars were in his front yard. And they got out with their guns and they apprehended the criminals. And the, and the one old policeman came over and said, I thought we, we got a call and, and they said that you said, uh, uh, you know, that uh, you shot these men. He said, yeah. And they told me that there wasn't a patrol car anywhere in the area. <laughs> he manipulated them. He got them over there. Let me tell you something. The gospel, the truth of the Word of God is not manipulating. Paul says we're not peddling the Word of God as somebody that's deceptive. We're not manipulating people. We're proclaiming the very Word of God, the gospel of the good news that Jesus saves and Jesus lives and God is here and present and He transforms our lives and He gives us what we all need in our lives and hearts and satisfies the hungering of our soul. I'm telling you folks, we got the Word and we got the truth and we got the news that this kind of world that we live in needs in everyday living and everyday life. I love what Isaiah saw in Isaiah chapter 6 when he saw the Lord high and lifted up. You remember the vision? And he saw the, the, the angels, the seraphim, and they were, they were, you know, flying around the throne of God and they were saying, Holy Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. His glory fills all of the world, all of the earth. And I want to tell you something about our, our wonderful, precious gospel. God's gospel is for all this world. It's for everybody. It's for the up and outer and the down and outer. It's for the rich and for the poor. It's for the educated and the uneducated. Somebody said out of the book of Hebrews, it says he, he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through Him. And He is. 
from the uttermost to the guttermost, from the poorhouse to the white house. He's in the saving business and the changing business. And that's the good news we have. I mentioned Romans 12, 1 and 2. And, uh, you know, not only does our world have the wrong idea about holiness <laughs> and happiness, they also have the wrong idea about the will of God. Uh, when our first child was born, he's a boy. Peter, he's, uh, I bl- let's see, he'll be 43 years old this year, I can't believe it. But when he was born, he was our firstborn. We brought him home. We didn't know how to take care of a baby. And you know, back in our day, he was born in 69, and the doctors were all, you know, they're always telling you all these different things. And uh, she fed him on formula. We had to change that two or three times. And then it came time, and, you know, he wasn't gaining any weight. And the doctor says, well, you're going to have to feed him some baby food. Well, he didn't like that baby food. Have you ever tried baby food? I mean, you talk about nasty. Good, not a lie. I mean, pure, pureed turnip greens, spinach, sp- squash, and that little baby. I mean, you, you and, and so he wouldn't eat it. He'd just shake his head and turn his face. And So she got one of the big old king-sized plastic-looking hypodermic needle is what it looked like. And you could suck that stuff out of that baby bottle up in there and stick that into that baby's mouth and shoot that stuff in. And he had to swallow it. <laughs> and that little baby, bless his heart, I mean, some of the worst expressions I ever saw in my life. And she fed him turnip greens and squash and mashed potatoes. And, and, then, and then the poor little fella, she, she put in some applesauce. And she stuck that to his lips and shot that in his mouth, and he was ready to make a face, and all of a sudden, boy, he tasted that applesauce. Big old smile, you know. And I, I mean, you could tell by what he was saying is, man, I was made for applesauce. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you something about the will of God. i tell you what's painful. It's when we're out of the will of God. i tell you what will cause you to struggle and hurt. And everybody else around you. It's whenever we're out of the will of God. God's will is good and acceptable and perfect. And it's designed for us because God made us. And He knows exactly how we tick. And He knows exactly what to do and how to do. And it's His presence and His life and His love that will help us and enable us to live and especially enjoy the life as we go along. Now, the major problems that we have, and I'll, I'll close with this out of Ezekiel. Ezekiel's writing to people that were in captivity and bondage, and Matt and them sing, they sing a lot about being delivered and free from bondage. In the Bible, the redemption is all about deliverance. That's what redemption means. It means we've been bought off the slave market. We've been bought and set free. And that's what Christianity is, isn't it? And the word salvation means to, del- to deliver. And God has come to deliver us. And these people were in bondage. And I, they, they were the... This is Israel. This is God's people. And they had, they had turned their back on God. And as a result, you remember the history of the Old Testament, how they were captured by the Babylonians. 
and taken all the way over. There's 700 miles over and all down into uh, what is present day Iraq. And there they were, out of their homeland. Seventy years they stayed in captivity. And you know, so many of them had given up. And they had just, uh, they weren't only captive by the Babylonians, they were captive by their fears and their frustrations and, and the feelings of hopelessness. They said, it's always going to be this way. There's nothing that can change our situation or our life. And they were shackled to being defeated. Let me tell you something. I look at a world today that's shackled. These people that'll come in and out of the doors of this church, and you know what they come in here? They come in here listening. they listening for a word of deliverance that can help them come out of their captivity. Some of it's drugs. Some of it's alcohol. Some of it's addictions in other areas of their life. But people that are not saved and walking with the Lord, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, they're shackled. And so many times they think, I've been this way and I, uh, there's, there's nothing I can, I've tried to change and I've looked for change, but I can't, I can't change. And so the people of Israel had adopted this proverb. The fathers, our fathers have eaten sour grapes and they've set the children's teeth on edge. In other words, we're just recipients of the sins of our fathers and the bondage and the lifestyle and the situation. It's, it's never going to be any different. And God said through Ezekiel, As I live, saith the Lord, you say to my people never to use this proverb again because God's bigger than any of our shackles. As I live, saith the Lord, I can transform and I will I will deliver them. I can, instead of pushing people down, God has come to lift us up. Jesus came and went to Calvary, not to rub our sins in our face, but to rub them out and to, and to forgive us and to cleanse us and to make us whole. That's the whole gospel that we have in the Bible. And God says, as surely as I live, this is, listen to what He says over and over again, you're my people. I have a claim upon every life upon this earth. You belong to me. And I'm going to tell you something. All of humanity on this earth belongs to God. He claims us. In our lostness, He loves us. In our lostness, He's coming to us. And He's knocking and seeking and calling for us to come to Him. As He's holy, He wants to impart that holiness to you and I that will enable us to overcome whatever may be our situation or our problems in this world. You see, when God comes, He comes to a planet that He knows all about. Whenever God came to Moses in the desert, He was in the, he was in the desert of Midian, over there in that far eastern place. And that old burning bush came alive in the desert. We're talking about fire under the tower. <laughs> you talk about fanning the flame. That's what the holy life of God is all about. It, it, he, he fires us with passion. Fires us with hope. Fires us with a desire to, to want to witness and help lost people find what we found. We don't need a proverb. We don't use a proverb. 
was listening to a, a, one of my favorite preachers. He's dead now. He pastored uh, Peachtree Presbyterian Church. And uh, I heard him one Sunday, a recorded message, and he, he was preaching on hope. And he says, I want to tell you something, folks. Christian's dictionary should never have the word hopeless in the dictionary. It's not in our vocabulary. It's never in our thoughts, shouldn't be in our thoughts. There's not a hopeless case whenever we allow God to come into our hearts and lives. We all know what it is to, uh, you know, to struggle. We all know what it is to fall and to fail. We all know what it is to go through trouble sometimes. We all know that, or we'll know that, I guarantee. But there's a grace of God. Undeserved, but yet merciful pleasure of God. He wants to help us. We got a half a gospel most of the time. We say that Jesus died for sinners, and He did. Did He not? But there's another side also. He wants to hug us and to help us. And I think a lot of times we forget about that. I've got a Savior that loves me and hugs me and helps me. And His presence is always here in my life. I don't have a proverb that says the father's teeth are set on age, therefore the children, or the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Psychologists will tell you today, and we all know that from, from our regular life and living. The life that we live affects other people's lives. Mom and daddy's lives affects their children's lives. Good example, bad example. Oh, man. My life out here in this community and inside as a membership of this church will affect other people's lives inside this church. We may not like that, but that is true. But that's half the truth. We don't have to stop there. A lot of people have grown up in broken homes and tragic situations. A lot of people hadn't had the life, mother and daddy, that I had. A lot of people have been exposed to things and darkness that I've never, thank the Lord, ever been exposed to. And they developed lifestyles and attitudes and they live ways that are not pleasing to God for sure. And it's going to impact their lives and their families and their communities. It's going to reach out every which way. But it doesn't have to continue. And that's the word of the Lord that we have from David and Ezekiel and from the Lord Jesus Himself. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. He loves us. He wants to hug us. And He wants to help us. He can turn your enemies into footstools and your stumbling blocks into stepping stones. That's what He does. That's what He's about. I'm going to tell you, if we're going to fan the flame and continue, grow and develop in our relationship with God and our relationship to one another, this is where we're going to find it. Right here, right here with Him. And I thank the Lord that He's so gracious, wanting to come, wanting to help us. How about you tonight? We're going to sing an invitational, final invitation that we'll have here as far as uh, my being here this week. And you may be here and say, Preacher, listen, I'm a young person or I'm a young man, young woman. And I have never 
asked the Lord Jesus to be my personal Savior. And I want to do that tonight. With all my heart, I want to come to Him and trust Him and ask Him, receive Him to be my Savior. Young or old, whoever you may be, we're going to invite you to come when we sing this invitation. And you may say, like I did, preacher, I don't know if I can come down that aisle by myself. Well, you ask your friend to come. You ask your mom or your daddy to come with you. You ask your wife. You, if you, you know, they'll be glad to come. This church will be glad to pray for you as you come. Jimmy will be standing right here. You may be here and say, Preacher, I, I'm saved, but I, you know, I'm, I'm not where I should be with the Lord. I understand that. I want, I want to align my will with the Lord. And I, wanna, I want Him, I want to present my body as a living sacrifice that He might be able to use me.